Hello and welcome to The Wise Why. This morning I am joined by an incredible, empowering and inspirational lady called Katrina Milley. Now as usual, the show really isn't about me and I do feel that the guests can say more about themselves better than I can. So Katrina, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. It's my pleasure indeed. Uh, my name is Katrina Milley. I work in the real estate industry in Perth, Western Australia. I work for a company called Ironfish and I'm their growth manager. I do BD and team leadership for property management, for residential property management. The BD, just because I don't like using jargon, BD means business development, yeah. right? Correct. Awesome. Yeah, new business. <laughs> Correct. Awesome. That's a hard role, new business. I've done it. That is challenging. Yeah, it's um, it's multifaceted, I find, and um, it's the sort of role that you can kind of carve your own way. So there's no really prescribed job description or a list of tasks. It's uh, it's very much a role that you have to take the lead and design and uh, and pivot and and see how you go, uh, adopt different techniques and and uh, change it up where needed. Honestly, hats off to you because I learned a long time ago after working in sales that I was definitely much more of a uh, farmer than a hunter. Now, um, I don't think for the people who don't know what I'm talking about, it's like in sales, we talk about the hunters, we talk about the gatherers, and we talk about the farmers. I mm. definitely prefer to nurture relationships, which is what the uh, the farmers were. Um, new business is really about hunting, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's I think it's definitely about farming too. Um, I think that's actually a kind of nuance between certain uh, different styles. So a combination is always a good idea in my opinion. Um, but I, I do prefer the sort of farming, nurturing, uh, long-term relationship building approach rather than the the hard pitch and the and the strong sell. Um, I just find that that is the way to meet a customer's needs rather than to start with your own or the business's own needs. And I just find that that always results in in the better outcome in those new relationships. Brilliant. So you've yeah. been in the property market for quite a while, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, 21 years. Wow. <laughs> so a long, long, long time. Um in the Perth market, so in this local market in which I where I live, and uh, managed three point seven five billion dollars worth of property assets, both commercial and residential, across my career. So I've done a thing or two over the years, that's for sure. And just because I know that we put it into the the post, you've been nominated for quite a few awards as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah, um, part of brand building, part of obviously reputation management I find it to be um, something that in the past I probably ignored to a great extent and just got on with the with the role at hand and um, through obviously educating myself in recent years about the importance of your personal brand and and all the things you can do to reach your customers I've uh, started focusing a bit more on um, on submitting for such awards and, and being nominated for those so yeah I've had some nice results there. And of course, that's where we met. You were presenting a call or a webinar for Edward Zia on personal branding. And it, the reason we ended up talking is because I really believe that you can build, well, I think I'm living proof that you can build a personal brand actually from very small little um, seeds. Mm. Yeah. Um, that, um, sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, I was just going to ask you if you could explain a little bit, because I found that talk really powerful. For me, I was sitting there going, oh, my goodness, I'm doing it right. It was like a, a, a checkbox for me sitting there the other side in the UK, uh, listening to somebody going, this is what you should do. And I'd just come off a call where I'd been told that I'd been building my business the wrong way. And I was like, really? I'm a bit surprised. Then I joined your call and it was like, wow. So I wonder if you could just ex expand a little bit on that. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, that network is, um, that's a great network. It's a lot of startups. It's a lot of um, people that have sort of exited long-term careers and, and carved out their own little businesses um, as kind of solopreneurs. And um, that particular talk was about uh, how to find your authenticity in your personal brand, um, which is still a super relevant topic, I believe, and will be um, in many years to come. It's something which I, I assume you've probably uh, experienced in, in what you do in helping people with online coaching is often it's um, really tricky for people to kind of find that authenticity and also deliver the right message in what they do and, and just to sort of harmonise the two. Um, so it was like little pointers about how to uh, tap into that and uh, sort of overcome those barriers to creating content, to putting yourself out there, to having those meetings and so on and so forth, all the things that are ultimately necessary to build your reputation and, and be known for what you're so good at. So, yeah, I think um, that subject in particular, I'm still super passionate about it and, and in, in what I do now, I'm certainly... Uh, adopting it from a personal uh, perspective as well. Thank you, because it, it was really powerful. And you are right, it is very tricky, particularly in today's world of online, to be able to get something succinctly across without being salesy or pitchy. Mm. And you know, I think that's where we really came together and you've already talked about not liking to pitch. And I really hate pitching. Um, and I'm gonna say, when I go out networking and I hear people do, and, and I'm going to upset everybody here, the elevator pitch. See, I got uncomfortable there. Yeah. Um, I really hate the elevator pitch because by nature, that's a pitch, right? And I want to know how people serve. I want to know what somebody can do to turn and, and help me and solve a problem. And that's exactly what you do in property. You really help people solve problems. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm the same. And that's the same as the farming and, and the hunting um, analogy I'm I, I really enjoy those one-on-one -on -one relationships and one-on-one -on -one conversations because that's where you can begin to solve problems for your customer. You can begin to answer their queries and, you know, show that value, deliver value before asking for it. And a pitch is valid. A pitch has its place as well in definitely in certain settings in front of a group or a new networking opportunity. Um, but the pitch has to be appropriate to the audience. Um, so there's many different ways to pitch, but I think sometimes people um, think there's just one type of pitch and, <laughs> and deliver that in many types of settings. And um, sometimes telling somebody your life story isn't, isn't so appropriate when they're in a room full of networking people and, and have many people that they could be talking to. So, um, yeah, different styles and different natures and... Um, and like you said, solving problems is is key and to delivering value. So um, figuring out what that value is for the customer and aligning the service that you deliver to that. Um, ultimately, that's that's what it's all about. 
So 21 years in property, there must have been some really high moments and some low moments. I wondered if if you could expand and, and share some of those. Yeah. Oh, high moments. What, what should we do first? Should we do high or low? Um, I'm low moments. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm always one for finishing on a positive note. So. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go down that line, I think. Um so when I finished, uh, I did a, a Bachelor of Commerce in majoring in property straight out of high school and finished in 2007-ish, I think. Um, and my first job was, was kind of the dream job. I worked for a company called Mervac, who is a, a property developer here in Perth. And uh, I kind of got the only job there out of uh, the postgrad group at Mervac. And I was there for about a year and a bit. And then we had the global financial crisis, which obviously you, you would have experienced over there in the UK also. And, um, and we had a mass redundancy in our, in our business, in that business. So I lost my job. I lost that dream job um, not so long after starting and, and obviously getting, just getting started on that career path, which, um, which was quite the hit at the time. Um, but I pivoted. And I, I went into commercial property and asset management, working for a company called Colliers International and spent many years uh, developing my, my trade in that area, um, ultimately looking after some very important um, international funds and clients and corporations and, and being a senior member of that team. Um, after that, I went on to Sodexo, who is a French uh, multinational, a, a Fortune 500 business, and I was the uh, general manager, national general manager for Australia for property, um, looking after clients Rio Tinto and Woodside, and a portfolio which was significant of 4,200 um, residential and commercial assets. So that was, I suppose that was the pinnacle of uh, that uh, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and that career and um, came with many challenges, but many rewards and, and opportunities for growth there as well. Um, and yeah, many, many different stories along the way of which we can probably speak of in another, uh, in another combo, but um, in particular, being a female in the, in the property industry is probably a, um, a challenge which which many of my peers can relate to, particularly in um, in the commercial property industry, which is which is where I spent a portion of my career, which is uh, more typically male dominated. So, yeah, there's there's some stories there for sure. <laughs> I, I can I can I, I laugh because I can imagine, but also I was just reflecting because. I sold, um, or rather, I supplied CCTV into one of your clients. Um, so there's a crossover there. I mean, I don't do CCTV. To, yeah. Oh, sorry, security cameras. Let's be. Yeah. It was IP, but I don't do that today. But it is interesting, and of course, I was a very, I was the only female for a very long time in the European wide sales team, and it did come with challenges. And it's not the challenges necessarily that people expect. Uh, I don't know if you can, because everyone always thinks that you're going to be fighting and and actually it's not, it's not. And it's, I was never, um, I used to use my power actually. One of the things I used to do, which is really bad, was we'd start a meeting and I would deliberately go off of the tea and the coffee and I would, and it would be me doing the decision-making, but I would make the tea and coffee because I knew that I could play that as a power. That's really awful thing to admit, isn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> just play to the assumptions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is funny. I did quite a lot of that. Like I would deliberately dress as if really, really ultra feminine. And mm. if I'm, if you saw me now, I'm sitting here in my jeans. But I would be really feminine to the point of like, oh my goodness, she's so so fluffy, and yet I wasn't fluffy at all. Mm, mm. So I used to power dress the other way. It's really interesting when I think back to it. So yeah, um, personal branding, I suppose, because you always knew that I was coming because you would hear the pretty flat you would see the pretty florals coming yeah um, yeah, yeah it's crazy um along the way you must have had some really really inspiring people and I'm just wondering if you could share some of those people with us that have really helped you or picked you up yeah definitely um so my first manager at um at Mervac was uh was a mentor at the time and, and has actually remained a mentor all these years um 15 years, I suppose, down the track. And um, his name's Thomas McClung. He, um, he works for an asset um, company here in Western Australia in Perth. They do funds management and um, lending. And uh, he was just so supportive of my growth, um, taught me a lot about leadership, taught me a lot about um, nurturing uh, up-and-coming staff and how to motivate and um just align your management to the areas that they are looking to grow. So treat people as individuals in the workplace and that's how he treated me and that's how he has um, continued on as a manager in his current business and a director in his current business. Um, so he's really inspiring. We have really good chats about sort of organisational leadership and, and mentoring and coaching and things um, along those lines to this day. And um, he's just so knowledgeable about the property industry and, and one of those people that just knows everybody as well. So, um, yeah, we've remained in touch all these years. Um, another, another colleague that had a really big impact on me personally in the workplace was um, a gent called Mick Little. He worked with me at Sodexo and um, he was the uh, Indigenous Liaisons Manager um, so he looked after our Aboriginal staff in our business and uh, he helped me. This is quite significant from a personal level as well. He helped me embrace my own Aboriginal heritage um, in that corporate environment, which then had flow-on effects into my own personal life as well. Um, and I think that's probably one of the challenges that I, you know, if I allude to uh, being a female in the property industry, I think um, being an Aboriginal female, in that corporate industry is uh, is particularly challenging in some ways. Um, and I think we've made some progress as well over the years. So what I'm saying now is probably not representative of, of current um, Aboriginal women's experience because we've made lots of progress. But um, certainly over the last 15 years, uh, I think things have changed quite significantly. So, for example, uh, earlier on in my career, I, I would never mention that I was Aboriginal. I wouldn't want to be treated in any different way because of that. And so I just kept it to myself. And um, as we know, keeping certain parts of ourselves hidden is not ultimately a very healthy thing to do. And it, um, it could lead us to not bring all of ourselves to those relationships, those workplace relationships, and uh, not having the most fulfilling uh, experiences that, that might otherwise be available. And we do that for many reasons. We all do it to varying degrees. But um, for me in that instance, it was doing that to 
avoid any bias or negative effect. Um, so he helped me to embrace that in the workplace and um, he just said, uh, hey, sis, <laughs> and he goes, where are you from? And um, and even I was taken aback. I was kind of like, what? What are you? I'm from Perth, you know. I'm from Subiaco. That's where I grew up. Um, <laughs> and uh, he just said, like, I can see that you, um, I can see that you're Aboriginal. And so we had uh, some really good conversations about that. And he was just so encouraging and uh, made me, you know, not made me, encouraged me to stand up in front of um, about 150 people in our head office and tell my family's story about um, about generations gone and um, some of the not so um, pleasant uh, experiences that my ancestors had experienced over in um, in Queensland, um, which which contributed to my privacy around my heritage. Um, as you as you probably know, with our indigenous culture, there is a lot of painful stories in our past, and um, and I think bring forward those conversations in the workplace was was super powerful for me and for others. So, yeah, it was it was a really nice experience there. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I can't relate on a cultural uh, level. I can relate on uh, the fact that I struggled to tell people about my dyslexia for a very long time, and I was really embarrassed. And you know, I, I've just started a new contract with with a company, and the first thing I did actually in the first meeting was look. I must tell you that I'm dyslexic. I'm also dyspraxic, and actually, the dyspraxia is worse. But my dyslexia can limit me. Now I use lots of tools like Grammarly and other tools to help me get through. But I, I wanted to lay it on the table. And the best moment was that David turned around and went, "Hang on a minute, I've done it again." And it turned out that everybody in the team was dyslexic. So I was yeah. in a very safe place, yeah. which was not what I was expecting. But um, I really appreciate you sharing that because I could hear how difficult and challenging, challenging that must have been and just also empowering. So I really hold that and thank you. Yeah, thank you. So he's obviously incredibly important. There, there must have been moments in your life where you just thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, which part? <laughs> um, the, the career, the, the yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, well, everything. Because, I mean, like, I, I know we don't talk about family very much, but mm. um, I'm a mum and there's, there's points I sit in the car. Actually, there's many a point that I've sat in the car after I've done the school run where I've sat in the, the school playground, the, the car park, with my head on the steering wheel, just sitting there sobbing my heart out, going, why am I doing this? So mm. um, it could be, obviously, a career. There are points where I've gone, I've walked into an office and gone, why am I doing this? Nope. I'm going to resign. Um, I'm just wondering, have there been moments where you've just gone, why am I doing it? Or alternatively, I love what I do because I know that I love what I do now. I absolutely adore it. So, that, it, yeah, it's that, that negative, positive, negative. Maybe start with the negative and finish yeah. on the positive. <laughs> why am I doing this? Um, I, I just, I don't think I could stop if I tried. Um, <laughs> I... I did take a little break. I did take a little break over the last um, year and a half from the property industry. And uh, 
and kind of diversified my experience as a as a management consultant and doing my own little business and served other uh, other people in other industries. Um, did a lot of professional development around learning about branding and marketing, which was not something which um, which I got to learn much about in my previous career um, roles and kind of rounded out some of my experience. But ultimately, I circled back to property in the end and, and real estate in the end and and hence my, my current role, um, which is fairly new. So why am I doing it? Because I think it's just it's kind of in my blood and it's what I've always um what I've always done is probably not the right way to say it, but what I've always um, found myself uh, passionate about and, and coming back to. Um, but what I've done in recent years, I think, is bringing that more rounded experience and lessons learned from other industries and uh, entrepreneurial incubators and, and things that I've participated in and bringing that to the table, which which I think is, is sort of the next phase of what we can deliver um, in our industry in Perth, which across Australia is actually very, um, very traditional, uh, kind of slow to evolve, not very innovative and, um, and kind of due for a bit of a shake-up, I think, both from a technological and an um, organisational perspective. So that gets me up in the morning, that excites me and um, being able to make a change to the industry in that way is is why I keep doing it. Thank you. I, I love the fact that you're so passionate about what you do. I love the fact that it's it's property because it, it's an area that people don't think about. You know, <laughs> we, we just don't. And I do now because I'm thinking about where do I shift to? Can I, where can I put the, the business moving mm. forward because it's beginning to get to the point that I might need to take on a small office and so I've started to think about things and I'm looking at rents and I'm looking at what I want in my office but people don't think of it you know they just they assume that I don't know it's just you think about your house but you don't think about commercial property so mm. I'm just wondering if you could expand a little bit on on what it is because I don't think until I met you I'd really thought about it mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of people go through life, and and some a lot actually in in Australia don't have the opportunity to own property, and some own property to the extent that it's where they live, an owner occupier, and others um, own it for investment purposes, uh, whether residential or commercial, or, or sharing ownership with others as well, and. So there's different ways to think about property and I suppose the traditional way is it's the roof over your head and the walls around your, you know, around your rooms. But um, from a financial sense, the, you know, from an investment perspective, that's really where we serve people um, looking after residential property. Uh, we're looking after investors with portfolios of one, two, three or more properties and uh, essentially Ironfish not only... Um, manage those properties for those investors and, and optimise those assets, but they also help um, help people to build a portfolio through education and uh, that partnership approach and um, being the mentor and the trusted advisor around property in investments. So, yeah, it's kind of a thing that you don't think about till you start thinking about it. And um, it's, it's something which once you get on that sort of journey, um, having a trusted advisor by your side, you can... Um, 
can make a real difference if that's where you're motivated. So um, some people reach that at different stages of their life, some earlier, some later, and um, some are not interested at all. Some like to um, buy crypto, and that's okay too. (laughs) So I was just about to ask you, why would somebody come to you to help them? But I think you just answered that question. Okay. (laughs) Because it's like, is there somebody that you, is is there a, a type of customer that usually you work with or or is it just a, a quite broad um well they have to have property in Perth so that's probably the most um poignant uh, selection criteria and so we operate in Perth but our, our business does operate nationally as well so we're in um we're in most capital cities and um other cities across Australia so um but my office in particular is in Perth and um no, we don't really have like a, you know, a, a target audience per se, but in terms of the service that we provide and how it contrasts to um, other real estate agencies, we really do partner with people long term. So although we're fairly new, we've been around for seven years and most of our clients have been with us for those full seven years, which is, which is quite rare in an industry that experiences uh, a lot of jumping around with our clients. Um, and that's, that's the nature of what we do. So we, we help people to maximise their assets once purchased uh, so that they can continue to grow their portfolio both within Perth and, and nationally as well across um, those different points of uh, service for our business. So, um, yeah, that that's, tends to be our clients. They're both foreign and local. So they may um, live in Perth. They may live in other capital cities. Um, and we have quite a few foreign investors as well that we service. So your your customer relations is incredible. If you've managed to retain most of your customers for seven years, that's that's absolutely really powerful. There must be something that you do you as a company are doing incredibly well because people, as you said, people switch swap and and we are in a very fast consumer marketplace. Mm-hmm. You know, where brand loyalty is quite rare yeah. I'm just wondering if you could if you can talk a little bit about the kind of customer relationships that you well what you do mm. um, give heaps of value for free <laughs> <And then laughs> just keep giving it I think um, some some businesses are really good at giving a lot of value up front they see the benefit in that and you know we see a lot of lead magnets and educational material and ebooks um, that was kind of a, a really strong phase in the in the um, marketing environment in the last couple of years. Um, and so a lot of people know how to give a lot of value up front to win new business, but then sometimes that's where the value um, not ends, but maybe diminishes. So then they go into the, the more functional part of their service. Um, property management is, it is a functional service. It's there to deliver, um, you know, collection of income, maintenance of a property, uh, relationship management, they're all functional parts of the role. But there's also parts which are, I'd say, capable of being done a lot better, um, which is where I like to focus in. We'll get the day-to-day stuff right and then what can we, you know, further add value with. So um, with my background and my experience and expertise, I like to uh, take a more strategic approach to the management of our owners' properties. So aligning uh, our strategy to what they're ultimately wanting to achieve with their asset and whether that's the highest possible yield or 
and maximizing the income producing potential by adding further value to it, um, the security of tenure for tenants or achieving the best possible rent. It, it can all be tailored to an owner. And then broadly across our iron fish business, we uh, stay at the forefront of education in the market. So we have our own research team, which is, which is also kind of uncommon. And uh, we invest a lot of time and energy into knowing every market in every capital city and providing that education to our clients, which, um, which is just a, a step ahead and above um, what they might get in other, in other um, relationships. That's just awesome. Thank you so much for sharing it because customer relations internally, externally, so important yet so easily missed. So I really mm. appreciate you talking about that. This is where you get to turn the tables and I get to worry about what you're going to ask me. So you get to, you've sat there in the hot seat for uh, 28 minutes. You've been answering the questions that I've been firing at you and you've done it brilliantly. Now it's your <laughs> turn to turn them on me and I have to see if I can cope in the hot seat as well. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I kind of like talking about other people more than myself, so I'm kind of like rubbing my hands together. <laughs> um, uh, I think I think what you're doing is amazing around obviously helping people to um, to produce content. It's we've had some good discussions in the past about um, creating content, getting your face in front of the camera, and social media, all the things which are super important in our in our digital world to um, start building relationships and, and building brand awareness. So I'd love to hear your your hot tips about um, being confident on camera and, um, and I'm sure that I can learn plenty from that too. Awesome. Well, the biggest thing is to own your space and that means to actually dominate the space of the camera. Now, when you're shooting on a uh, mobile phone, you actually need to, if you're shooting in portrait, you're really limited on what you can do. And I really do su suggest people use a blogging kit or a tripod because trying to hold it, you will get handshake. Although the new devices have got software to eliminate it, you're still going to be better off on a tripod or a blogging kit. And you mm. want to get as much of yourself in shot as you possibly can on portrait, unless you're doing a crazy dance and you obviously want to be further away from the camera. But you want to look actually in portrait at the top of the, the lens. So at the top of the, so where the, above the lens kind of directly yeah. there, but in landscape, it's a bit more complicated. So I always say that you want to look about 1.5 centimeters from the lens in landscape so that you okay. know exactly where you are. Um, now I've done a video on it, which is on YouTube, um, but it is really simple. It's about 1.5 centimeters from the lens in the middle of the, 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 the camera where you're looking. And that way you will actually get to see yourself. And that's if you're front shooting. Uh, if you're shooting on the back again, it's looking to the right or the left of the lens. So you're looking down the camera. So the first thing is to get your eyes seen and get your device at eye level. And that's before you even start. Before you even think about what you're gonna say, practice just getting your device where you can be seen because there's nothing worse than this or that, where you're talking to the camera and you're not looking directly at it. it, is, it, it immediately you've cut that connection with the audience. The next tip is to talk through the camera. So actually, I'm talking to you right now, but I'm not looking at you, I can see you, but I'm talking to my camera, but I'm not looking at my camera. I'm looking, I'm, I'm kind of looking at a little light on it but I'm talking through the camera because you've got to break. When you go on camera, you're coming into the fourth wall. You're breaking 
the fourth wall, which Brecht and Mayer hold to talk about, who are theatre practitioners. So you're coming into people's own personal space. So you've got to come through, but you don't want to bring so much energy that you are absolutely punching through and shouting at people. So if you think about it, two years ago, there are a lot of people saying, bring your energy to camera and shouting down the lens. And actually, it's really quite offensive. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to do this with your hands because immediately, again, you're breaking that connection and you're breaking the fourth wall. And mm. this is all before you even start talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you then, want, before you even think about what you're going to do, you want to start breathing. And one of the things I give is to this tip about finding your heartbeat. And so you find your heartbeat either in your wrist or your neck and you start breathing and aligning your breathing to your heartbeat because the first sounds that you hear when you're in utero is the sound of your heart, your mother's heartbeat and the sound of her breathing. This is an automatic reset to deal with nerves. It's actually incredibly powerful and that helps you find your rhythmic voice because if you're aligned to your heartbeat and your breath, then you're going to talk in the right pattern, which is the iambic pentameter of Shakespeare, which is da-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum. So it's really yeah. simple. And this is all before we even start talking. <laughs> <laughs> then when we do come to talk, the first thing we do is we don't say, hello, I am, or hi, I'm Kirsty. And the reason we don't do this in the fast moving world is that you've got three seconds to make an impact three seconds so you've just lost your three seconds and then you're going to start talking about your, your who you are and what you are but if you look today we've got our names underneath what we're doing mm -hmm. so everyone knows who we are now we can edit them out but even if you post a video on social media you know what you've got your you've got your company name or who you are so why waste those three seconds anyway and you start your video with a hook so you mm -hmm. start your video with your subject so you can grab the audience straight away and then you've got to be succinct, you've got to be on brand and you've got to use your key messages. There is much more to it, but those are some quick top tips on how to immediately do your first video on camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. They're really hot tips, actually. I think they're, um, they're all takeaways for me as well I was like conscious of looking at the camera when you were saying that because I know my eyes dart between the two and yeah it's, it's it's very um it's awkward but I'm I'm sure that with practice it, it becomes a lot easier right it does and, and I've got the advantage that I was an actor for many years so I very rarely looked at the camera unless we were doing a two camera shot but even then you're looking to the right or the left and so for me it's very natural and one other thing that I think is really important is do move don't don't try and be rigid because that will bring attention <laughs> in yeah I know as soon as you think oh I've got to stay still you're going to be rigid so actually use your hands try and keep them out of shot but do move because people will connect with that because it's human and I think that's the big thing is to make sure, you know, I, I'm clicking my eyes up and checking. We're not going over time and doing everything that we need to do, you know, but ultimately keep you, you be authentic. I hate the word authentic, be, but be real and be genuine and honest because we all like it when it goes wrong. So don't worry about not posting perfection. That is a that's a good takeaway. That's a good tip there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. Um, and obviously, if we can put into the the links um, in, in the comments, just some how people can contact you, that would be brilliant. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you.